0: Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 29th of September 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. And we're delighted to be joined by Alex Thompson and guest, uh, Gvorg Virat, if I pronounce that correctly, I hope so, who are going to be speaking to us from Odessa Well, what have we got, uh, Mike? The first thing I think to open with is it goes on and on. I chose The Guardian. uh, But of course, what we're seeing is uh, coronavirus uh, vaccine propaganda on and on and on and on. And it's clear that the uh, government, the NGOs, the media are not going to let us move on to any other subject. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to dismantle a little bit of the propaganda in today's
1: news? Um, So uh, plan nine, uh, plan B, as it's otherwise known, uh, the government has launched a consultation um, and it's all about uh, the use of uh, vaccine passports and so on. So uh, yesterday, the government published a policy proposal for mandatory vaccine certification uh, as a contingency measure, is what they're describing it as, under the government's autumn and winter plan. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when it was launched. Uh, on the 14th of September, I think that was, um, and uh, but the government insisting that Plan B is unlikely. It's still going to be Plan A, but nonetheless, uh, the government uh, they say they remain confident Plan A will prevent the NHS from uh, from uh, unsustainable pressure and uh, certification will not be required. But nonetheless, they're they're they've now run a, opening a, a public consultation on it. Uh, here is the. Uh, Health Minister Maggie Throop, who's saying our autumn and winter plan puts us on a sure footing and gives the whole country the best possible chance of living with COVID-19 in the months ahead.
0: Oh, well, that's encouraging. We can actually, we can survive. Some of us may survive. Some
1: of us may survive. Yeah. But look, uh, they've got plans A, they've got plan B. Plan B involves mandatory pa- vaccine cert- certification, vaccine passports. Uh, the question is, what is justifying uh, this demand for continuing vaccine rollout, continuing vaccine passports and so on. And I just want to briefly uh, talk about uh, this report, which is doing the rounds at the moment by somebody calling themselves John Dee. Now this is a non de plume, uh, because he apparently wants to uh, protect the source of the information that he is, uh, uh, is highlighting here. Uh, and he's been handed uh, some document or a data set, which has come from a hospital trust, he says, Uh, So he says in this uh, document on the 23rd of June 2021, I was given access to a substantial text file held on a shared Google Drive. uh, This being a dump of electronic records of admissions for the period 1st of January 2021 to the 13th of June 2021 for an unknown NHS trust, or at least unknown to us. uh, When imported in Excel, this consisted of 161,495 rows. So that 161,000 represents uh, admissions to this particular NHS trust. Um, now, I'm just going to take a few bits out of this report. I strongly recommend people read the whole thing. Um, but uh, for example, in table three of report eight, vaccination status and instance of COVID-19, we observed some 38.2% of COVID-19 admissions being discharged back home, uh, a finding that was deemed striking. Now that is, I have to admit is, uh, we see that in other data sets as well. Um, So I think that is representative of what's actually going on. People going in to hospital for whatever reason, being labelled as a COVID-19 victim, but being discharged back home straight away. Um, It it goes on to talk about the issue of the chief complaint. So in other words, this is about what was the reason for the person going into hospital in the first place. So it says here, there remains the issue of the chief complaint, the 161,494 emergency department admissions records Uh, within the text file yielded a total of 140 unique complaints ranging from abrasion to wound care. Uh, Other things were things like stomach uh, complaints and so on. These were assessed for likely relevance to SARS-CoV-2 infection slash COVID-19. And his point is that although people were going in with non-COVID related issues, they were immediately being admitted as COVID patients. Uh, And the question was on the basis of what? Uh, So let's just move on to the implications. To date, he says, 10 reports have been written totaling 60,799 words of analysis made on 102,000 electronic records of deceased patients and 898,000 emergency department admission records. Many conclusions have been drawn uh, from 117 figures and 82 tables. Uh, All this work has been based on the assumption that NHS trusts have been coding incidents of COVID-19 in a diligent manner backed by clinical diagnosis. It's abundantly clear that this is not the case and that electronic patient record system is awash with asymptomatic slash false positive admissions requiring care for other diseases and conditions whilst their data record is flagged as COVID. Uh, He goes on to then talk about the summary of the key points. I'm just going to choose a few of these. As I say, we should all be reading this because it's very important information, I think. Uh, So 4,190 out of the 161,000 admissions met the criterion of COVID-compatible chief complaint backed by a SARS-CoV-2 marker diagnosis, whereas 4,535 out of the 161,000 admissions met the criterion of a COVID-compatible chief complaint backed by a respiratory diagnosis. Uh, The total number of admissions presenting with a relevant respiratory diagnosis and a SARS-CoV-2 diagnostic marker was at 125. That's 125 people out of 161,000 people had both respiratory symptoms, and uh, some kind of diagnostic, uh, uh, you know, positive result. Uh, He goes on to say, by adopting an audit criterion of relevant chief complaint with a supporting respiratory diagnosis as a basis for COVID-19 validation, we discover only 9.7% of declared COVID cases actually exhibited the fundamental basis for symptomatic disease between the 1st of January and the 13th of June 2021. And he says it was concluded that the electronic patient record system is awash with asymptomatic false positive admissions that primarily require emergency care for non-COVID diseases and conditions while their data record is flagged as COVID. This dilution of the true clinical picture uh, explains the peculiar non-results from various analyses undertaken and seriously undermines any and all study of the evidence base. It seriously undermines the entire narrative for Uh, all this uh, stuff that's going on, for example, the vaccination program, vaccination of school children, uh, and the vaccine passports. Let's uh, come back to the issue of vaccine passports then. And this is the proposal for mandatory COVID certification in a plan B scenario call for evidence. Uh, And uh, let's just uh, run through that. Uh, Do you think that the list of settings is too narrow to capture or captures too many settings. Uh, So this is talking about uh, which venues are gonna be required to examine passport certification. Um, And uh, so this is a a sort of multiple choice uh, questionnaire, really, and it's quite simple uh, to run through. So which uh, of the following best describes your opinion about COVID-19 vaccination status of people who choose to attend venues and events where certification would be required if Plan B is is, is implemented? Uh, To what extent do you agree or disagree that visitors to venues and events uh, should be required to be fully vaccinated to enter? Do you think unvaccinated people working at venues uh, should be supervised or unsupervised when taking regular tests? Uh, Do you think that uh, everyone working in venues to which certification would apply uh, should be required to show they're vaccinated, exempt or being tested regularly? And uh, then there's a section for providing other comments and so on. So, on the basis that it's really a, a multiple guess uh, questionnaire, um, I don't see any reason why as many people as possible shouldn't be providing some feedback to that. Well, hopefully millions might. Uh, hopefully millions. Uh, and as far as the 500 words at the end, uh, perhaps uh, the the document that we've just shown you might uh, provide some content uh, to to provide to, you know to fulfil those 500
0: words yeah I, I was just going to add Mike that so so we are now drilling into the NHS data and finding that this data is faulty It's misleading. And we've got the MHRA that have openly said in uh, responses to letters sent in to the officials, June rain, being one of them that they accept that they're their own internal data is faulty. So NHS data, faulty, MHRA data, supposedly monitoring public safety is faulty. This is, a sh- well, we could call it a shambles, but we know that essentially it's orchestrated because the government is pretending that this data is correct yes. in order to unleash the policies.
1: That, that's it. Uh, Alex and Kvork, maybe we could invite you onto the program at this point point. say welcome. And uh, just, Alex, what are your thoughts on this?
2: I think uh, pretty much every country is being tested out now for just how much uh, data it can amass to provide shock and sensation so that the end state of showing your papers please to come into public spaces uh, is achieved. And I see this in particularly sharp relief this week because I've come to Ukraine. Well, uh, Georg and I both live outside Ukraine and we came to meet here and do some uh, business together. And uh, the Ukrainians required us to install an app at the airport. Anyone who's not been jabbed has to install a tracking app, which nags you. Take a picture or you'll be in violation. Geolocate or you'll be in violation. This morning we went for a test and we just got a notification before going on air. Um, you are now free to move around the territory of Ukraine. But besides that, countries like Ukraine and many others in this Black Sea region in Eastern Europe are not going to be able to come up with the, the goods in that regard, because the end state, as I say, is going to be uh, show your papers to come into a venue based on these uh, surging numbers of cases that we are be- being talked about. Um, and I'm afraid just east of Vienna, there's a large swathe of the world that's wouldn't, that couldn't care less about that. Gevork, you can correct me if I'm going overboard there. Well,
3: being from the West Soviet Union by birth, and uh, now it's considered Eastern Europe, I can say that one advantage that our region has compared to the other regions of the world is the inefficiency of the government bureaucracy, which allows you as a human being to operate your normal life uh, without let or hindrance, as it were, and uh, doesn't, you know, the, the fact that the government requires you take certain action on the on the pandemic uh, scandal that's going on everywhere in the world, it doesn't interfere with your day to day life. And that I would uh, I would actually commend. Uh, but uh, as far as I understand, uh, some of you in the West don't enjoy the same amount of liberty that we have here.
1: Uh, Well, Well, no, indeed.
0: I think that's a very true statement. The big problem in the West is that people have an inherent faith in the fact that their governments are telling the truth, that they're upstanding, that the governments are law abiding. Uh, What they don't realise is the corruption is inherent in our governments as much as it is in other governments overseas. That's the harsh Reality certainly of UK in 2021.
1: Uh, In the meantime, Alex, what's going on around COVID passports in South Africa?
2: Well, uh, this is yet another one of these uh, countries which is semi in the Anglo system or the Western system. Uh, The powers that be have it as their great hope for the country that will lead sub-Saharan Africa or at least Southern Africa into the new era of tracking. Um, It was said in some of the sessions that Rainer Fulmich led uh, evidence to the Stiftung Corona Ausschuss that South Africa is particularly key to see which way the rest of the world, the non-Western world, goes. It's a swing state. And uh, there have been since mid-September from the 15th onwards, in fact, protests in half a dozen major South African cities against the planned introduction of Western style COVID vaccine passports for access to public spaces. And I think you have a clip just for those listening in audio only of a few seconds of Zulu protesters coming out in their traditional costumes with their assegai spears and their shields uh, singing protests against that. So uh, something of an awakening happening there.
1: Alex, I just wanted to show a few minutes, a few seconds of that because I just, uh, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm always impressed by Zulu singing. But nonetheless, uh, uh, we've got a little, bit more of a clip if you want to continue to uh, to talk over this. It's very
2: difficult actually to get reliable news out of South Africa about protests. In this regard, South Africa seems to have gone. Uh, Full whack Western in that it simply chooses not to report any protests on the streets all you get is public service broadcast type things warning people there may be traffic disruption the kind of thing that Germany Britain and Canada do these days you're not of course from Africa But you have a particular interest in South Africa through your wide interest in Christian work there And I think you have a high regard for the Zulus as I do you might have some comments on what this means, perhaps for other countries around the world where uh, native cultures are finding the strength to resist the infringement of in- inalienable liberties.
3: Well, my experience of South Africa is not quite Western. It's, it's rather Eastern. Maybe it's the background speaking in me, but uh, what I can perceive is that they have gone Marxist in, in, in many ways in terms of suppressing any voices that, that, are, that differ from the mainline government politics uh, that that the, the politics themselves being, of course, Marxist enough, but then they, they, they suppress everyone else. And uh, the wide uh, range of friends that I do have in South Africa, because of the Reformed Christian connection there, uh, they're often themselves unaware of what's happening in their country, because it's so difficult to get the news from one province to another, for instance. And uh, they have to rely on the word of the mouth, which uh, shouldn't be the case in the 21st century, or at least I think not. Well, the the
2: stronger lockdowns are in countries, the more we provide a service. Uh, We we found this as well between Australian uh, states and territories, between Canadian provinces. We're passing news from people one to another in some cases.
1: Yes. Uh, Okay, thank you for that. Well, let's uh, move on to uh, the corona. Well, Alex was talking about whether... uh, Governments are obeying the law at the moment, but uh, uh, let's just have a look at uh, to remind ourselves about the Coronavirus Act 2020, of course, this piece of legislation, emergency legislation implemented in uh, March or April last year, March last year, I think it was, uh, and it was supposed to be renewed, uh, or at least go to Parliament uh, every six months for an extension. Uh, it did a lot of things, uh, including military deployments that we've been talking about on the uh, on the uh, programme over the last couple of weeks. Um, and of course, the last time there was a vote on an, on another six-month extension was in March uh, this year. Uh, so it should have been getting uh, brought back to the House of Commons in September. Um, and uh, well, in fact, it isn't. It's being brought back on October the 19th. And thank you very much, Ian Davis, for tracking this down because I couldn't find this uh, uh, earlier on, now uh, uh, if we look at what the Institute for Government says about this, it says every six months the Secretary of State must, as far as practicable, allow the House of Commons to vote on whether the non-devolved powers uh, that are in force should be should continue. The precise deadline for the vote on the provisions of the Coronavirus Act depends on whether the House of Commons is in recess for party conferences. The vote must be held within seven sitting days of six months after the Act received royal assent. Um, So that was in March, uh, 2020. It got an extension in September last year, another extension in March this year, and supposed to be getting an extension uh, in uh, September, uh, pretty much at some point during this month, but it didn't because of course, Alex, uh, the House of Commons is in recess and it will not come back until the 18th of October. So uh, I suppose they are uh, holding that debate and that vote, as quickly as possible after they come back. But nonetheless, it does seem incredible that uh, from a legislative point of view, the legislation says every six months, but party conferences apparently are above the law and therefore uh, we, we just don't bother following the legislation if there happens to be a conference season happening.
2: There does seem to be an increasing number of exceptions to the rule of law. Yes, this is why we've done our podcast series, uh, A Dissident's Guide to the Constitution, and we have had a delay all summer, but we intend to get on to the issue of the rule of law in episode six. Uh, it's a much abused term, but if it means anything, it means that the same law is above us all. Uh, but we've seen since the beginning of the exceptions that were introduced for um, uh, COVID lockdown measures, Um, There's been an an, an air of elitism about it. I mean, every country in coordination decided that elite sports people, because there's a very lucrative, of course, there's million dollar price tags attached to them. They're able to travel again uh, from from biller to post. But uh, the same doesn't apply to many other people who have life saving or morally vital uh, work. It's it's just really the price tag. And politicians fall into that category of, uh, you know, let let us get on with things. Uh, But there are many other things, of course, that are not reviewed according to the legislative timetable they should be. Uh, the Armed Forces Bill used to be annual and now it's just once per parliament and we're slipping into a situation where we have a permanent nomenklatura, to use a word from this area, the former Soviet Union, where yes. the party apparatchiks and, and others are ju- just, just there. They're not normal people, there's something above them.
1: Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, okay, and just uh, briefly I want to mention of course that uh, we're coming very, very close to the end of the furlough scheme uh, that uh, ends at the, uh, on the 30th of September. So from the 1st of October onwards, uh, people, well, uh, Reuters here saying analysis end of furlough brings uncertainty for jobs uh, in the UK and uh, the UK economy. Uh, And well, the government claiming that this is only uh, possibly going to affect uh, about a million people now, Uh, well, that all depends on how you count the numbers. Uh, I think we've shown earlier on that the numbers are being counted in pretty dodgy way with respect to coronavirus. I don't imagine that it's any different for any other government statistic, but there you go. and uh, well, in the meantime, of course, we've got uh, another month of madness coming apparently and the Daily Mail uh, on their front page this morning uh, showing some video footage of continuing fights on uh, petrol station forecourts uh, and people, well, apparently filling up buckets with, uh, that are lined with plastic bags with, with fuel. I find these situations extremely unlikely, Brian, but I mean, maybe people are that dumb. It's difficult to say, but the key bit is that we can't trust our own
0: media as to what they are really reporting. This is this is becoming more and more apparent. Um, What's the mail been up to in the background? It's been looking into deaths from smoke motorways in UK, but not investigating deaths through uh, vaccines so very difficult to trust the mail or any of the other mainstream papers at the moment
1: but of course the message is that the world is collapsing which to some degree it is but it's being blamed on brexit and various things but it's it's uh pretty much about well you're not going to get your petrol you're not going to get well alex there's a whole bunch of other things we're not going to get apparently because we're heading into an apocalypse according to the telegraph Dave-
2: Yes, the phrase black swan has become very uh, popular in, uh, due to the um, the, the, the um, author Nicholas Nassim Talib in recent years. And so now the, uh, the the new buzzword is, sorry, that there's been a pileup of catastrophes and we planned for individual ones, but things still went wrong. They quote at length a Lord Harris, who, who is quoted as an expert on, on disasters and survival strategies as seen from the state. But they're warning that uh, there's, there's, uh, the problem is that uh, if you have an earthquake or a flood, you're going to have a knock on effect on energy supplies. If you have a health crisis, you're going to have a knock-on effect on the uh, the economic take-in and so on. It's, um, it's, it's getting quite extreme now, even from the Daily Telegraph. And I think I had a couple more slides that show uh, more detail of that as well. Here we are. So the uh, Daily Telegraph later in the piece has got this grid. Everyone has to have a grid and a graphic in there. Now, the major threats facing the UK, because what they're reporting is the annual update of the National Risk Register, which uh, sprang up in the new Labour era. And if you look into the timeline of COVID-19, it played a major part because, in that, because in the 2010s, suddenly the national risk register discovered that an influenza pandemic was the real, real killer, and we really had to be worried. And if you tap that again, you can see just how complicated that key is. All of those individual colored squares are particular individual risks uh, that are scored on two axes for both likelihood and impact if they do happen. Um, they're natural, human, political, and whatnot. And I think there was a quotation in there as well, if you tap, uh, that looked Lord Harris is quoted as saying that there's a domino effect. Uh, I mean, he thinks the government is is, is is foreseeing rather than, or scrying rather than, than warning here. Extreme events uh, that are not properly accounted for. And Lord Harris says there are 38 risks in the latest National Risk Register, but they're all in silos. That's posh speak, of course, or common-purpose style speak for individual. And, of course, we were supposed to blend and merge them and make one leverage against the other. What isn't recognized, Lord Harris says, is that one will trigger another, a cascading effect. Uh, Gerbork, we're here in Eastern Europe. Um, To my mind, the supermarkets are full. Right now, uh, with some pretty decent stuff as well. The cafes cater happily for you. We'll go into more detail, perhaps in extra time, on just how good Odessa is in 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 that, in that regard. But you travel very widely in Eastern Europe. Have you found any shortages of basic commodities in even the poorest countries in this region?
3: Oh uh, no, I have not. And uh, I would like to comment briefly on the bla- on, on the notion of the Black Swan. Uh, we we have lived in a stable environment for a long period of time ever since after, after the World War, the Second World War. And uh, now we, we're no longer used to instability, but instability is a lot, of, uh, a lot more natural to the world history than, than that stability and, and normality. And so whatever, whatever people call a black swan in, in the West, in the Middle East, is just the norm of your ordinary life, and if one day all the produce suddenly disappeared from all the shops, let's say in Lebanon, that wouldn't surprise anyone. People would go back to their land and and, and work it again, and, and and try to try to uh, survive on that. I was just trying to convey the idea of
2: of how the mentality of the people here is set. So. So panic sets in when people are used to buying absolutely everything. But that said, Ukraine is a poor country. Odessa is not the wealthiest part of it. And yet I'm surprised by just how comfortable the lifestyle of a lot of people is. There is an extremely poor, desperate underclass, of course. But but I can't say that their lifestyle is worse than Britain's and there don't seem to be shortages. Uh, On with The Telegraph, they're reporting that uh, this again is, uh, as Brian said a moment ago, with reference to the mail, the, the media telling you what to think, eight things your supermarket might have secretly run out of. So if you gentle reader of Middle England are um, quite content that you can still buy your stuff in the shops, take care. You might not have nosed around the cheese aisle, that icon of Middle English status. Uh, And the the type is too small for me to read the other things that they're listing. I deliberately didn't put number eight on because it was uh, fishless vegan fish fingers. Uh, They're they're obviously having us on at that point. But Mike, if you can read the type, what are the other headings of the things that they're telling people...
1: Yeah, We've got plasters, we've got pet care, we've got uh, beef mints. Uh, so, we're not going to be able to make our spag ball, but uh, organic, whole free range chickens. Oh, yes, I missed the organic, whole the free body. range chickens. So, yeah, so you know, this is this is uh certainly certainly reason to panic, Alex. I mean, it's it's ironic that it
0: starts with cheese because it's like that excellent Monty Python. There skit about the cheese shop, which sold all of the cheeses produced in the world except when you went to buy it. Um, It's difficult to tell what's real life and what's cartoon in UK at the moment.
1: Yes. Well, let's look at something which is cartoon apparently because uh, here's Al Jazeera uh, because Joe Biden received his booster shot yesterday or the day before. Uh, So Biden receives COVID booster and urges Americans to get vaccinated. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, there is another, that's a very uh, uh, impressive image of Biden getting this shot, apparently uh, with uh, in the White House with the garden outside and the trees blowing in the wind. Uh, but unfortunately, according to uh, lots of uh, social media accounts that are distributing this image, it's not true uh, because here's the actual picture. Um, so he was literally on a stage. Uh, it was a staged image. And so the question then, Brian, is, was it a stage, a staged vaccination?
0: I, I would have thought so, but again, it's difficult to tell reality anymore. And, and those uh, reporters with all their equipment and their notepads are not interested in what's fact and truth. They're happy to sit in front of theater and report it. Yes. Uh, which is extraordinary, sorry.
1: Yeah, let's come on to uh, the issue of vaccination of children then, Alex. And uh, well, the I here, have a headline, anti-vaxxers target UK schools with protests against COVID vaccine rollout for 12 to 15 year olds.
2: So the I, formerly the Independent, which is now an internet-only uh, newspaper with just a single letter as its name, has decided to go on point here, and it's it's gone beyond the BBC because when the BBC reports similar things, nasty plebs using Telegram to protest outside schools, they at least don't uh, rebut the the the, the correct uh, assertions made by the protesters. Uh, but the I has gone further, and in the lower paragraph, there they're trying to prebut the claims that uh, the the protesters' concerns are a common misinformation claim, um, and they, uh, they assur- saw us in the last sentence on screen, that the vaccine has been approved for use after rigorous testing, which they can't footnote us on. And there is a, a quotation at length, which I'm not going to read, but I'm- I note that it is yet again the CEO of the Centre for Countering Digital Hate, a kind of British version of the SPLC or the ADL now, but uh, much broader in scope as those ones in the US are now, and it's Imran Ahmed. The- but the eye was so keen to trail this that before the relevant parliamentary committee heard evidence on uh, digital hatred, a theme you've often reported on, Mike, the uh, the new slogan for cracking down on the internet. They were pre-announcing what Imran Ahmed was going to say. The eye is, it seems, utterly desperate for people to get worried about these nasty plebs and their use of telegram. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, again, here in Eastern Europe, I mean, uh, the flight to Odessa I was sitting on, uh, a government employee. I could see her papers, she works for some Ukrainian ministry, happily chatting away to a colleague before we took off about uh, all the information in the Telegram group. I suppose that would make her a terrorist then. Uh, what's, what's the use of Telegram out here as a group,
3: as, a, as an app? Uh, uh, well, uh, Telegram, of course, is is the number one app uh, used in, in this part of the world because we see it as, as a safer application than others. And by the way, the term anti-vaxxers, here is is a derogatory term which none none of the people like, because uh, we don't think of the ones who uh, dislike the idea of being vaccinated as, as of anti-vaxxers. Uh, we rather call them people who want more information on wh- on what the vaccine contains, and since that information isn't available, uh, people are certainly uh, very weary of, uh, of 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 all the hype that's gone with it. But they're not against the vaccine. They're not against the notion of the vaccine. It's just that they don't know what it is. Mm. So um, in, in this part of the world, especially in Georgia, Armenia, and potentially Azerbaijan, people would say, well, tell me what's in there and I'll consider it. But since you're not telling me, they are not going to uh, do anything with it.
2: I noticed that the professional journalists at the I decided that they had to spell anti-vaxxer in full in the body of the text. So they spelt it vaccination, V-A-X-X-I-N-A-T-I-O-N.
1: Excellent journalism. So they're making up new words. Excellent. Okay. So where does that take us, Brian?
0: Uh well, it takes us into this one, which is a letter which was provided to the UK column. It's a letter which went out to parents and guardians at a girls' grammar school in Kent, uh, read, read some of this out because uh, where it takes us is really quite a remarkable, but it says you've undoubtedly read or heard the news regarding the decision of the chief medical officer, Professor Chris Whitty, to re- recommend to the government the offer of one dose of the coronavirus vaccinations to all students aged 12 to 15. Um, we have already been contacted by the public health team as they plan how to run this program in the coming week weeks at this stage. We do not have any more information on how or when this will occur or details regarding handling of consent. We will share these with you as we receive them. Following the recent events outside the school where an anti-vaccination group staged a short protest and with this announcement raising the possibility that this could happen again, I would like to ensure total clarity around this situation and the difference between the protests made and reasoned debate. The group that protested outside the school were not engaged in a science-led debate on the decision of whether or not to vaccinate 12 to 15-year-olds. Instead, they were engaged in conspiracy theories, disinformation, and various other propaganda that is much more in common with familiar far-right troops. Uh, Whilst their protest outside school was peaceful, and very few students accepted leaflets, groups of this nature are working to spread fear and misin. Oh, sorry, that one. We just go back. My apologies. What? what did, I was just trying to get to this. Just uh, this one here. Sorry. Okay. While their protest outside the uh, school was peaceful and very few students accepted leaflets, groups of uh, this nature are working to spread fear and misinformation. Um, not engage in discussion or debate. Should the group again arrive at school, we will contact the police to raise concern around safeguarding and we will do all we can to discourage students from speaking or accepting material. Um, So that was the first part. And then it went on to the second part. Since the protest at several schools across the district, we've been in contact with the Kent County Council Prevent Education Officer, Prevent is the government's established strategy to combat extremist views and terrorism uh, with the support provided by the Council, funded by the Home Office and Department for Education. They've shared with us the documents sent out with this letter, the anti-vax playbook produced by an American NGO, the Center for Countering Digital Hate. It outlines many of the common tropes and narratives used and who is most likely to believe and to share misinformation uh, produced by full fact. So it's very interesting that uh, we've got now um, an example of what's happening. First of all, they set up the whole of the prevent system and now schools are being drawn into reporting people who they describe as being peaceful in trying to um, speak out about vaccines those people are going to be reported to the prevent system, which automatically brings us into counter-terrorism. So I'm going to say it's an astonishing reaction from a school to people they say were protesting peacefully. Alex, I think you got some comment.
1: Yeah, I'll have to be brief, Alex, please.
0: We
2: noticed the word tropes there, which is a posh word for talking points. So you can't claim you can't have facts on your side. If you've been declared a neo-Nazi, you have tropes instead or memes. Um, But this has come, of course, from the Center for Countering Digital Hate, which probably, I would guess, tapped the eye on the shoulder and said, you need to get in touch with those local, local police forces and shame them into making statements about the robust response that they will put up. So, again, it seems to be think tank led fake news, which then ultimately forces the police to do a media turnabout.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's move on to this then because, uh, well, I think it was also the independent or the I was uh, was highlighting this. We'll come on to that in a second. Here's a tweet from a lady called Ruth Moss. Uh, okay, so the school have sent the consent forms for my eldest COVID vax, uh, for my eldest COVID vax, which he wants. He's 14. It's his choice and I'm broadly in favor. But today we have a consent checklist, which seems almost kind of like it's designed put people off. Uh, well, the response from Dr. Jonathan Leach was just to confirm that this is not a legitimate NHS form. Um, so here is the independent and their headline is uh, schools sent hoax NHS vaccine consent, consent checklist containing false claims about the risk of COVID jabs. So the headline is definitive that the uh, consent checklist, which is a hoax, it contains false claims. So let's just have a look at the consent checklist. Here it is. Uh, So this is what was sent round and I think uh, as a campaign this was uh, quite amazing because it suckered at least one school into sending this to the the parents, which was uh, very useful. Um, And it says, if you choose to have a vaccine for yourself or your child, you should take this form to your appointment and ensure it is signed by both you and the clinician. Informed consent means agreeing to something once you've been given the full information surrounding it informed consent is legally required in the UK before you undergo a medical procedure such as a COVID-19 vaccination. So let's look at these false claims, uh, that, the, or at least the claims that uh, the Independent says are false. So first of all, unlike traditional vaccines, the vaccines being used for COVID-19 instruct the body cells to create the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. That's not a false claim. Uh, the next claim here is that the COVID vaccines uh, may reduce severity of symptoms if the patient gets COVID-19 but may not prevent them from getting COVID-19 or from passing it on. Well, at least according to the government, that's not a false claim. So let's look at the next one. Although alternative treatments are available, the COVID-19 vaccines have been granted emergency use authorization, so require less comprehensive clinical data. That's not a false claim either. Uh, Number four, by 8th of September 2021, of the 48 million people who have received at least one jab, there have been uh, 1,645 deaths. Um, Well, that might be a false claim, but it's certainly not a false claim on the basis of uh, the people who generated this document. We'll come on to that in a second about what what exactly is the number of deaths, but it's roughly correct. So again, that's not a false claim. Um, Let's go on to, well, we'll move on to number five. Adverse reactions to the COVID-19 vaccines include, but are not limited to strokes, blindness, deafness, clotting, miscarriages, uh, and cardiovascular disorders. That's not a false claim. Uh, well, uh, we will not know about the possible long-term effects of COVID-19 vaccines until after the studies of the clinical trials conclude in 2023. Well, that's not a false claim, although it's not quite correct, because that's only the uh, stage three clinical trials are complete by 2023. In fact, stage four clinical trials uh, haven't even begun and won't begin until after uh, the stage three are c- uh, complete. So uh, there's slight inaccuracy there, but nonetheless, the the the, the, the The purpose of the the point is correct. Uh, The manufacturers of the COVID-19 vaccines are immune from civil liability. That's not a false claim either. As of the 11th of Jan, 2021, the average age of death in the UK of COVID-19 was 83. Again, not a false claim. So I'm struggling to find any false claims in this, Brian. There aren't any. And so the independent is lying once again.
0: Well, we we have seen this. We are seeing this more and more, which is that if you as a member of the public echo back to the government its own information about uh, vaccines and particularly the risks and ultimate adverse effects of vaccines, you're accused of of giving misinformation. But the information came from the government in the first place.
1: Indeed. So, I mean, I think that was a, a, a very, uh, many people ask, what can we do? Well, there's an example of what somebody has chosen to do. They've created this uh, this a consent form. It's a fake consent form. It's done the rounds and has apparently been handed out by schools. And it's upset the system. So this was, a, in my opinion, a great campaign. But let's have a look at this issue of the number of deaths because they quoted in their consent form 1645. Uh, let's look at this. This was an email that came in to us uh, because if we make an error or, or anybody wants a correction, they can use our contact form to highlight that to us. And In this case, uh, the person concerned, Robert, has uh, uh, labelled this one total deaths, yellow card, uh, 1662. So he has counted up uh, from the uh, MHRA's uh, PDF documents that there are actually 1,662 deaths so far, uh, whereas on our yellow card website, well, it, well, in fact, the number there is 1,651. Um, so he's asking, why is there a disparity? Well, there is a disparity because of the way that we are counting up the uh, the numbers of deaths. So um, he was counting up based on the numbers which appear at the end of the PDF document. So for each vaccine, the the MHRA gives a total number of deaths, but we are counting up based on the number of deaths that they list in uh, the uh, deaths column of each of the tables in their uh, PDF documents. So what has actually happened here is not our error and our correction required it's the MHRA's errors because these spreadsheets, they're not reading spreadsheets because they're PDF files, are full of errors, they're full of counting errors, uh, and they're full of uh, people that clearly have died as a result of of the vaccine, but they're not labeled as deaths. So um, if anybody needs to be receiving an email about uh, the uh, errors in the data, it is the MHRA. And of course, that was part of the purpose of setting up the yellowcard.ukcolumn.org website in the first place was to to make these errors clear. Um, So anyway, that's why there's a disparity between the total number of deaths on our uh, view of their data and the total number of deaths if you manually count up their total lines because they have made a mistake.
0: An MHRA spent $1.5 million on an AI system pre- to prevent this.
1: Uh, we are, it is not clear whether, whether they that, spent it or not. Yes, well, they certainly spent it, but it's not clear whether it's functional or not. But certainly there doesn't seem to be any, any indication of it. Anyway, let's move on quickly. Uh, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to help us out there. That would be very much appreciated. Also, please share... Uh, this program and uh, anything else you see on the various platforms. Uh, And once again, a massive thank you to everybody that has uh, decided to get hold of one of the UK Column hoodies. That is uh, very much appreciated.
0: And a very nice email in which we thought we'd put on screen. It says a big thank you to all the team and staff behind the camera. Recently started watching the UK Column after a friend suggested I'd be interested in your news site. Interested is not the word. Fascinated describes it better look forward to every day of broadcasting and I must say what brilliant refreshing journalism all the presenters give. I have myself suggested to others that if they want truthful factual information they should turn away from mainstream media the BBC in particular and give the UK column a chance I've informed them that the information you provide provide is verifiable and have proved this for myself. Thank you for all your efforts to bring to our attention all the mainstream media tries to hide. Marvellous programme and long may it continue. Thank you very much for the kind words.
1: Yes, Uh, and uh, Alex, uh, you have uh, received a communication from Australia.
2: Actually from the United States and uh, the communication uh, says, we have some Australian friends who are seeking to flee that oppressive regime for the United States. The Biden administration has made some announcements which will probably make it harder to leave later, that is, if you're fleeing to America at least. So they're under a bit of a time crunch. We have the stateside legal issues pretty well covered, but are short on help to actually get them out of the country. So this is a request for uh, at least suggestions for good ways to extricate people from Australia, which makes it jolly hard to leave. The American viewer continues to ask Do you know anyone? So if you do, please email alex at ukcolumn.org. Do you know anyone who could help? help them with visas travel etc to get them out the government there Australia is saying no one can leave except for extreme circumstances Uh, this is the pitch that we have got to now in Australia I think it's uh Pretty hideous and pretty incredible. Um, And I have a second viewer's email to plug. This one is from the West Coast of Ireland. And this is from a gentleman whom all four of us, uh, that is David Scott and uh, the two of you and I have spoken to, called Donald Corrie. He has a case coming up, and he says, My name is Donald Corrie. I have been investigating and uncovering so much regarding child abuse. One such case, similar to my own, is the case of long term viewers will know about this, Brian and Janice Docherty in Scotland. I have demanded justice for my own daughter, says who has Downs syndrome but have been prevented from seeing her after identifying a convicted pa- convicted paedophile five years ago. As a result, I, Donal Corrie, now face harassment charges against a TUSLA official, that's the spin-off agency from the Irish Health Service that specialises in taking children, and this official played a major role in the removal of the Doherty children. And we verified all this firsthand with Donal and with the Doherty case, and also provided the paedophile who wanted to abuse their own, or protected, sorry, the paedophile who also wanted to abuse their own autistic child. Donal is a very humble man but he now needs help of those who are in the west of Ireland so he says and of course lawful and peaceful people please attend no uh, no funny stuff. Donald says please send this to every activist you know worldwide and if you can please support me Donald Cory, at Castle Bar Courthouse that's in County Mayo on October the 5th at 10am. Ah. ...who have supported me over the last five years, he says. Things may be getting closer to seeing my little angel, but we all need to expose the huge cover-up of child abuse in Ireland and the UK.
1: Right, so Alex, you just dropped out there for one little second. So it says, thank you very much to all who have supported me over the last five and a half years. Uh, that was a bit that we missed. Uh, so um, just to, to let everybody know... Um, uh, David Scott has done uh, two video interviews with Donald, and uh, what the first one has been finished and edited, and so on. And I believe he is going to uh, uh, set that up as a premiere on the Northern Exposure channel tomorrow at seven pm. If anybody wants to watch that, um, so so please do that. And then uh, finally, Alex, in this seg- segment. Uh, Uh, Taylor Hudak, who of course was uh, comparing many of the uh, presentations at the Doctors for Covid Ethics Symposium that we helped with a a couple of months ago, uh, is herself now receiving a bit of harassment.
2: It could just be a way of exploiting her because she is well known in media, or it could be something more sinister and uh, sock puppety and possibly uh, state-related. So she announces that she wants us all to know that she's being harassed and threatened by persons unknown who have for some while been sending her private messages through to an Instagram account that she has and on their own Instagram account they are imp- impersonating Taylor Huda, which of course is a good way of getting people uh, off the scene, as it were, or losing credibility in, in in the free media. So the threatening messages include, remember me now, Taylor, meet me at such and such at 7pm, my number is so-and-so, call me at 6pm, and then the menacing continues with, uh, you have one hour left before arrival. If you are not on time, all of your personal data will be leaked. You have 24 minutes left and further threats that you can read on screen. This is happening now to the brightest and best and most competent of presenters in the free media. They're cowards. They prefer to go for um, vulnerable people, so they prefer to go for women and younger persons in the media. They won't get anywhere with that because, of course, Taylor's just got straight back at them with publicity. But be aware that not everyone, not every account you read uh, on social media is the people that you you think they are and this equally applies now to media brands, free media brands in particular.
1: Um, Okay and uh, so Germany then Alex and moves to regulate Telegram. We've had uh, very much calls for regulation of Telegram uh, in the UK of course and we wait to see whether that will uh, make an appearance in the final Uh, version of the online safety bill, which will be laid before Parliament as I suppose sometime in the next month or two. But uh, what, what are the Germans up to?
2: Well, Mike, you were covering the other day that um, it, there may it may not be long until the COVID false flag. Germany has had its low key one already in the eastern state of Thuringia, formerly uh, formerly in the GDR, in communist eastern Germany. Um, there has now been a, a lethal attack on a garret, a petrol station owner who required somebody to put a mask on. We don't know any details of that, but the uh, the state premier or governor, if you prefer, of that state, as that piece in Zero Hedge is covering, has already said we must have immediate action at federal level to re classify um, uh, Telegram as social media rather than publication uh, so that we can get at individuals and get stuff off. But the, but the, the bottom of this Zero Hedge uh, article frankly admits that actually uh, what's really at stake is in the very recent German federal elections, Alternative für Deutschland polled much more than they were expecting, around 10%. And we're told that this is because disinformation is getting out to Germans on Telegram. Um, Let's hop a little further to east and south to effectively a client state of Germany's for a long time, possibly going their own way now. And uh, Zoran Milanovic is the president of Croatia. He was asked by an on-message journalist the other day why it was that Croatia was trailing behind other EU member states in percentage of vaccinated people. And he says, I don't care. There are enough vaccinated people. Because if we are really trying to uh, stop the transmission, of COVID-19, we do have a sufficient quantity of people vaccinated. If their goal, he says, or if the goal is to completely eradicate the virus, we won't succeed. And he says, the media is not pointing out to the public that this, it will be impossible to eradicate the virus. So he does encourage people to get the jab. He's quite an, um, an on-message person himself. He's actually a social Democrat, not your typical sort of Central or Eastern European resistor figure. He's, he's a social Democrat who studied EU law in Brussels. He's quite pro-LGBT and anti-nationalist. But uh, even Croatia's, uh, shall we say, pro Brussels president uh, says towards the end of that clip, CNN is lying. I turn them on every day. And since New Year, uh, I'm hearing nothing but COVID, COVID, COVID. It seems to be the only cause of death in the world. And uh, CNN and you guys are lying. Um, Gevor, what would you have to say to that? Because Croatia used to be, as it were, the the West's best hope in the Balkans. And now it has acceded to the EU. But uh, even country, now it's in the EU, is not being retained for message.
3: Well, Croatia still remains uh, Europe's best hope in the Balkans, I would say, and uh, humanity's best hope in the Balkans would lie elsewhere, not in Croatia, because even though that they have a president who would sometimes say things that... Uh, are in line with common sense more or less and I not being a regular uh, UK column presenter have the liberty of saying things that I think Uh, and I don't have to uh, necessarily conform to the thinking of the president of Croatia either I would say that uh, it's it's actually Serbia or Montenegro or Albania where you get more freedom than, than you do in Croatia and uh one president in the country of Croatia wouldn't make too much of a difference nationwide and on the national level, because the uh, s- setup of the state is such that the European Union is able to dominate the country, regardless of the person of the president of that country. So yeah, that's, that's what I'd say to that.
1: Okay, thank you for that. And then Alex, uh, Ukraine spies tried to ensnare alleged Russian war criminals with a fake website promising Riches and an international sting uh, uh, yes, is much truth is in this.
2: Well, it is CIA News Network, uh, CNN here. The breathless exclusive comes from former SBU operatives whom the CIA will have got to speak directly to CNN for this exclusive. The fetching picture you see is uh, a Belarusian special forces arrest guy uh, getting a Russian former mercenary pinned down on his bed to arrest him. It's a a, a three-cornered story that encompasses all the Eastern Slavic countries, Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus. Ukraine, where we're sitting here, is extremely pro-Western in intelligence terms. And uh, it agreed to lure some of the former fighters who'd been in Syria as, uh, well, we're we're told in the West they're mercenaries, but anyway, they were on Assad's side um, to leave Russia for what they thought was the security of the pro-Russian country of Belarus but it was all uh, a sting and once they got there they were turned over for war crimes so um, the the battle really is uh, for Belarus because Ukraine is definitively as people I think know in the Western camp there's a quotation on screen as well for people to uh, to read what does that say? Uh, the former high-ranking Ukrainian military intelligence officials. Uh, so it's not SBU, pardon, but Ukrainian military intelligence. But the CIA will have directed them to describe exclusively to CNN how they orchestrated this extraordinary operation. I think we call it extraordinary rendition, actually. If the West did it, but since a client state did it, we can call it something a bit more breathless and 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 positively spun. Uh, but there we are. The uh, Ukraine's definitively in the Western camp. Russia, of course, definitively not. Belarus, uh, by no means to be overlooked and i think we'll go into more detail in extra time on the nation of Belarus for our subscribers uh Gibbard knows it very well that's all to play for uh, it may soon actually be in a union with russia at this rate so as a last ditch attempt to avoid that i think uh, scenarios like this are being put together what the russians call a provocation a false flag or provocation Now, the home country of Georgia comes into things. Eurasianet reported last month that Georgia has been flooded with leaked surveillance recordings of the clergy. It turns out that Georgia's equally pro-Western intelligence services, ultimately trained by CIA and MI6, have been doing very, very naughty things indeed and breaking the Vienna Convention on diplomats and various uh, other such things. So what do we read about uh, these these spy operations? We see that the Georgian secret service has been maintaining a folder according to our whistleblower who left the service. It's now been blamed on the previous regime, by the way. But anyway, um, the Georgian Secret Service had a folder called adulterers, which has all the, uh, the the specifications of priests and nuns in Georgia. Georgia is a very pro uh, clergy clerical country. It's basically run by the church in many ways. And these people were allegedly conducting affairs with one another. So that's at least uh, consenting adults, although breaking their their vows. Uh, then there is compramart, which is where you get into the, the, the really nasty stuff, the uh, the abuse of underage people. And uh, we've got dozens of uh, apported, purportedly dozens of priests of quote non traditional sexual orientation. So that's Georgian intelligence speak. these guys can be blackmailed because they're homosexuals or pederasts or the like. And now it gets really, really quite uh, uh, breathtaking. I mean, I'm afraid a lot of countries do that to uh, their citizens, including clergy, blackmail them regarding sexual foibles, including the abuse of children. But how dumb is this many of these files recorded by the georgian security service include conversations between their targeted priests and diplomats including the u.s ambassador the eu ambassador and the israeli ambassador most of these were conversations with georgian clergy members but some were internal so embassy to embassy and there's an ex- example given on screen and later in the article you can read how they targeted the uh, presiding bishop of the largest protestant denomination in the country Give over to you. Um, what, what's what's been uh, the upshot of this in Georgia?
3: Well, the Americans were very surprised by the fact that the intelligence service that they helped set up was actually spying on them and uh, keeping keeping track of everything they did in the country. But so were the Israelis and some 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 others that are present in Georgia. Well, uh, it must be said that the Georgian Orthodox Church even though it exerts a huge amount of power in the country, and it's, it's got a huge following, most of the country uh, would admit to being orthodox, even if they don't believe in God That is, they would still say we're orthodox and we're, we're, we're with the church uh, nevertheless. Uh, the division within the nation would be whether you're pro-Russian or uh, pro-Western, and then being with the church is seen as pro-Russian, and the government of the country was set up initially under uh, the previous uh, president that uh, Georgia's had, Mikhail Saakashvili, well known to Mike, who uh, who was was uh, basically uh, a. a very, very pro-Western person to put 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 it mildly.
2: Some of his henchmen were anti-Orthodox Church too, so that's and, what's going on here. Well, isn't it? well, they were very deliberately anti-Georgian Orthodox Church because the,
3: the Orthodox Church is seen as a very uh, very much influenced by the Russians, uh, the Russian Orthodox Church and the FSB, uh, and, and therefore the surveillance um, of the Orthodox Church is justified uh, by the government, of course. Uh, implicitly, not explicitly, uh, through by by saying that you know we're trying to look at what the Russians are doing in our country, but then on the other hand, the most of the people are Orthodox. Uh, they, uh, there's this outrage in the country uh, in in regard to that, but uh, surveillance has been a Georgian tradition for the last twenty years now, at least, and uh, no one no one is surprised they're doing uh, doing that. It's the extent. And the nastiness, really, because uh, they, they have been uh, really sticking their nose into places where they shouldn't have, such as such as uh, a foreign foreign nations represented
2: on your soil, uh, like the embassies are. These are the people who are going to win World War Three for us, aren't they? The Georgians and the Ukrainians. A few hundred yards from where we're sitting, uh, people will know because 21st C- Century Wire covered it in great detail. There was a horrendous case of pro-Russians being chased into a building by Ukrainian nationalists in a similar thing to what happened in Georgia, but it went much further this time. And these poor people were burned alive for the crime of not of not being Ukrainian nationalists. That happened right here in this city. This is the end state of, of us poking and uh, provoking and using foreign uh, intelligence services around Russia to do our bidding.
0: Yeah,
1: okay, thank you for that. And uh, uh, well, let's end this little segment with uh, the Times of Israel and a prosecution witness in Netanyahu trial and his wife killed in Greek plane crash. Uh, So this is Deputy Director of the Communication Ministry, flying a light aircraft, uh, but apparently a technical fault, Alex.
2: Yes. uh, Very sadly, Chaim Garon and his wife were the only victims. They were, you know, flying themselves. Uh, This couldn't have come at a worse time because Chaim Garon is one of the uh, star witnesses in the uh, ongoing judicial investigation of Israel's long-time but now recently resigned uh, Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. He's an attorney by training. And as the Times of Israel reports, uh, last year Chaim Garon uh, told Israeli radio, 103 FM, that he'd already given testimony to these investigators and said it Related to uh, the country's optical fibre infrastructure, this is where Netanyahu uh, seems to have come a cropper with uh, accusations of corruption. To uh, to his uh, he and his son uh, appear to have been uh, acting very corruptly for a long time. Uh, couldn't have been a, an accident at the worst time, should we put it that way?
1: Uh, yeah, let's put it that way. Okay, let's move back to the UK. Well, in fact, not the UK, but uh, nonetheless, the UK's a uh, leader, uh, great leader, big brother perhaps uh, for COP26. Well, he was speaking at the Youth for Climate Conference, I think yesterday, uh, and uh, well, what did he have to say? Well, apparently, blah, 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 but we'll come on to that in a second. Uh, but he uh, also said this, I'm also really aware of the fear and anxiety. In fact, this is really the only important thing he said, the, the fear and anxiety many people feel and that young people feel. I wonder where this fear and anxiety came from, Brian?
0: Well, created deliberately Creat- because we've seen, amongst other things, the documents uh, from SAGE of 22nd of March 2020, which the British government said we need to ramp up fear.
1: Yes. So that that was uh, Alex Sharma. He uh, gave, his, gave the keynote speech. But another keynote was given by uh, the wonderful Greta, who we were talking about the other day. Uh, and I'm sorry, we are going to be a little sadistic here and, uh, and let you see uh, some of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't seen it already. um, I do probably need to give a viewer advisory at this point, Uh, but let's have a look at what uh, Greta said.
4: There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 (laughs) blah. This is not about some expensive, politically correct, green act of bunny hugging or blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. Green economy, blah, blah, blah. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Net zero, blah, blah, blah. Climate neutral, blah, blah, blah. This is all we hear from our so-called leaders. Words. Words that sound great, but so far has led to no action. Of course, we need constructive dialogue, but they've now had 30 years of blah, 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 and where has that led us? But, of course, we can still turn this around. It is entirely possible. It will take drastic annual emission cuts, unlike anything the world has ever seen. And as we don't have the technological solutions that alone can deliver anything close to that, that means we will have to change. We can no longer let the people in power decide what is politically possible or not. We can no longer let the people in power decide what hope is. Hope is not passive. Hope is not blah blah blah. Hope is telling the truth. Hope is taking action. And hope always comes from the people.
1: Okay, so I'm sorry for doing that to you, but I've enjoyed very much the comments in the chat box, which have all been highly supportive of her. But anyway, uh, I was being sarcastic there. What what were your thoughts? Well, I
0: I just find it is incredible that this young lady is propelled on stage to address adults in supposedly very serious subjects.
1: Well, no, in this case, this was the youth conference, so... (laughs) But, but, you know, Welsh. it is, it is uh, of course, being used by the mainstream media.
0: Well, it's being we're being told as adults in this country that we should pay attention to what this young lady has to say. But clearly she's got no knowledge. She's been groomed to give this theatrical piece and it's getting worse. Um, she doesn't know what the word hope means, I don't think, Alex.
2: Uh, No, it means something rather different to that. It means a a feeling within oneself which transpires to turn the world into a a better place. But what she's requiring is, of course, things done to people, not things coming out of them.
1: Mm. Well, that's right. And there were a couple of things there that that grabbed me. The first was, uh, you know, this this threat, unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, And uh, we will have to change. And this echoes... Uh, narratives from other places, uh, for example, the Parliamentary Committee on Climate Change, um, really making the point that uh, in order to meet net zero goals, uh, we're going to have to see major behavioural change in the population. Uh, And of course, Coronavirus has been one of the key drivers of this behavioural change. Um, So let's uh, just bring us on to this, because the question is, how will the world change? And this is one way, uh, David Scott mentioned this a number of months ago, uh, the 15-minute city, the idea that you can go 15 minutes, a maximum of 15 minutes from your home to get everything that you could possibly need. Uh, we mentioned this a couple of days ago, that the World Economic Forum held a symposium on this uh, last week, uh, but uh, they've now produced this uh, little video telling us that uh, Paris is now becoming a 15-minute city. Uh, and uh, and others as well. Now, the idea of a 15-minute city uh, was invented by Carlos Moreno, who's called a scientific director and professor specializing in complex systems and innovation at the University of Paris uh, at the Sorbonne. Uh, and he believes that there will never be a return to city life as it was before the coronavirus uh, 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 pandemic. Uh, when the pandemic shuttered city centers, he said, uh, uh, it showed how important social links are. Uh, many people never visited shops close to their homes before uh, because they were busy. They didn't know their neighbours or the parks nearby. The pandemic made us discover this. We have rediscovered locality, uh, and it has improved quality of life. Um, so he is also Paris's uh, the the mayor's uh, special envoy for smart cities, um, and. Uh, So anyway, this 15 minute city policy is being developed and is being implemented rather. And of course, the fuel shortage helps with that, doesn't it? Because, you know, we can't rely on it. Very convenient, yes. Uh, And uh, let's see, what else can we say here? Uh, So this concept apparently will improve quality of life by creating cities where everything is a resident needs can be reached within a quarter of an hour by foot or by bike. Uh, it's minimal traffic among housing, offices, restaurants, parks, hospitals, and cultural venues. Uh, and of course, people will largely be working from home and it's uh, being promoted in this case, not only by the World Economic Forum, but the Global New Mobility Coalition. will be doing more on that in the not too distant future. But of course, the BBC uh, has plenty to say about this as well, how 15-minute minute cities will change the way we socialize. So they're very much promoting this. If you want to get some background on what this is about, um, then we have a number of articles on the UK column, uh, which will give you some of the the details. Uh, They're all written by Martin Edwards. The first one here that I'm wanting to highlight is the Resilient Cities Program, another threat to individual liberties. Uh, Of course, the Global Parliament of Mayors and the abolition of the electorate that we've talked about many times, uh, but also this article from 2015, Distraction Politics and the Long March Towards Global Government. And I think we could probably say that uh, coronavirus has been the ultimate in distraction politics. has been the ultimate, but of course we also need massive control
0: of the media. So if we get back onto this, hopefully I'll get the uh, slides right in this little segment. Um, this is The Independent uh, a day ago, uh, sexual violence being promoted by British far right, according to new analysis. So it's, it's a very... Um, Black and white headline, it's authoritative. It's as if there's been some major uh, report. What are they actually talking about? Well, if we get into this, uh, sub-headlines, pro-rape comments and misogyny are rampant in far-right spaces. Hope not hate reports suggests. So now we can see that there's something a bit more to this article. Um, This is the sort of thing it says, a culture that actively promotes sexual violence as a political weapon has taken root amongst the far right, and pro r- rape comments are not uncommon in online extremist spaces. New analysis suggests the far right is moreover adept at steering people with anti feminist prejudice, prejudices towards racism and anti Semitism. A report produced by British advocacy group Hope Not Hate and charity Anti Semitism Policy Trust found. Okay, let's uh, dig in a bit more. Well, the next thing is it tells you that the report comes after the shooting of five people in Plymouth by a 22-year-old man obsessed with the incel culture last month. Jake Davison killed himself, his mother, and four other people in the first fatal mass shooting in the UK in over a decade. Now, I read the article. uh, There's a lot of words I did not understand, and this is one of them, so I thought we'd help the viewers out. By going to the independent itself. So we went through to see whether this would take us. Well, here we are. What exactly is an incel? And is there a growing community that is cause for concern? Dr. Fraser Heritage from the School of Social Science at Birmingham City University, uh, sorry, Birmingham City University explains incel culture to the independent. So what is an incel? Uh, Well, the incel is a portmanteau of the terms involuntary and celibate. Incels are typically heterosexual men who wish to, but do not have sexual relationships with women. Incels typically blame their lack of sexual romantic relationship on societal structures, women, uh, and the men women do have sexual romantic relationships with. This blame leads to... (laughs) to self definitions as victims. So I hope you understand all that. This is straight back into the subject of intersectionality. And of course, it becomes a word soup, where it's very difficult to understand what the real message is. But let's get back to the article because here's hope not hate. And uh, what do they say? The misogyny commonly had a sexualized dimension. Um, The word whore closely followed by bitch is the most popular Misogynistic pejorative. The report also states that reference to rape and comments promoting sexual violence were common in these spaces. Telegram is just one part of a wider ecosystem of prejudice. Hope not hate say but is failing to take appropriate action against the hateful rhetoric shared on its software. Uh, We then get the classic, the Independent has approached Telegram for comment. So they're going for Telegram. They don't want groups talking on Telegram. You talk on Telegram, you're a right-wing misogynist and anti-feminist. Well, Here's Hope Not Hate. This is the report they're talking about. Anti-Semitism and misogyny overlap and interplay with the cartoon insert, no girls allowed. So they said that... um, they found their key findings include the conspiracy theories provide a link between the two prejudice prejudices, cultural Marxism and white genocide. Uh, women play important roles in many anti semitic movements. And then through analyzing misogyny and gender politics on the messaging app Telegram, a key online hub for the anti Semitic far right. So everything focused on Telegram. And if you use it, you're far right, you're a misogynist, you're an anti-Semite, you're pro-right, Yeah, sorry, you're pro-rape. And uh, pro-rape comments are not uncommon amongst the anti-Semitic far right. So this is a very brutal report by a group of people. We could ask what their qualifications are. We won't get too far. But let's take a step back to that uh A couple of paragraphs I showed just now, because you notice that everything in red takes you through to an active web uh, link. You click on the red word, violence, it'll take you to something to do with violence or an explanation. At the bottom, you can see that you can click on hope, not hate, and that takes you through to their website. But strangely, when you look at charity for anti-Semitism, the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust, there is no anti-link. I found that very interesting. Well, here's a man from the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust, the director, Danny Stone. He's quoted in the article. He says this, the government's forthcoming online safety bill will target online harm, but the approach must not be siloed. So for uh, Alex, that was uh, the term used by Lord Harris earlier on, the term silo. And he also says, Intersectional abuse must be recognized and addressed for the pernicious dual harm that it is. So now we're using intersectionality, which UK Column's been warning our audience about. This is a mean to trap people into the label of far right, anti-Semitic, misogynistic. It's it's truly astonishing what is happening under the surface of this article. So here's Anti-Semitism Policy Trust. You can go to their website and it says, we educate and empower parliamentarians and policymakers to address anti-Semitism. So this group of people is looking to drive politics and the policies that we, the public, have to endure. Who are they? Well, you can see a lot of the faces. And of course, on the left, we've got Danny Stone, uh, the chief executive himself. I I can best describe these people as young lovies. You will find that they've all been through the right uh, education. They've all done jobs, which I might regard as non-jobs, but they've ended up in this particular trust. So that's all good. At least we can see them. Uh, But if we get onto the board, we only get names. And uh, there's no link, so I can't see who these people are. It gets a little bit secretive. But where does this take us? Well, it takes us to the All par- Party Parliamentary Group for Anti Semitism. Uh, here's the picture shown on the Trust website. And uh, we've got the Archbishop of Canterbury lurking in the middle. He's very concerned. And the statements made that all party parliamentary groups are voluntary and receive no parliamentary funding but do have access to parliamentary facilities. The groups have no formal place in legislature. So that was a very interesting statement. If we dig deeper into UK Parliament, and I know this is going back to the 24th of February 2020, we can see people's names who are involved with this uh, particular parliamentary uh, all-party parliamentary group. Uh, but this is where it gets interesting because when we get into the details, we see that the public inquiry point and secretary secretariat for the group itself is Danny Stone from the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust. So are we dealing with a group in parliament or are we dealing with a trust? It's not really clear now. But it gets better because we then find that the parliamentary group has to declare that it's receiving benefits in kind to the value of 28 to 30,000 pounds as a result of the secretariat provided. So it's becoming a little more murky now as to who we're dealing with. Uh, If we go in a little bit deeper, we can go to the Charity Commission and here's the Anti-Semitism Policy Trust. Uh, There's a nice little graph of their income. it's easier to look at it like this. So we've got total gross income, um, which has gone up from 179,000 in 2016 to 356 in 2020. Strangely, their expenditure is often greater uh, than their income as we can see in 2016 with 221,000, but also in 2020, 405,000 spent against 356 coming in. That's an interesting one. Uh, But look at the bottom, because now we see that they actually in 2020 received uh, £147,000 from the government itself. So, are we dealing with a trust, or are we dealing with the government, or are we dealing with an all parliamentary group? It's absolutely not clear. Um, We don't know who is in the driving seat, um, but what we've got is a group funded by government pushing to form government opinion and policy alongside hope not hate. So if we come back to the original article, um, uh, this is the key statement really. We've got a thinly veiled promotion of highly questionable government and public hate crime propaganda. That's all the intersectionality. That's all the far right. That's the attack on Telegram. Um, But basically, Where is this taking us? Well, it appears what the Independent is trying to do is broaden the online safety bill to include all these intersectional terms, which means that you could virtually accuse anybody of anything and you'd suddenly become a right-wing terrorist that this bill's got to take uh, criminal action against.
1: And of course, uh, as we've been reporting for a couple of weeks now, Brian, uh, the the narrative of right-wing extremism is one that's been brought by the BBC uh, to overlaid on top of the uh, anti-lockdown movement uh, and people that are protesting lockdown and mandatory vaccination and, and uh, vaccination passports and so on uh, but, and the BBC presenting that as those types of campaigns as being a gateway into far-right extremism. So this yep. is this is clearly an organised campaign Right. to demonise a particular section of the population. The
0: Guardian's involved, the BBC's involved, the Independent's involved, and our own government, of course, is certainly involved because it's helping to fund the information that's being pushed out through the media.
1: Uh, and just to end this, uh, I just wanted to mention one aspect of the online safety bill, uh, because with respect to social media sites, Telegram will absolutely be part and part of, parcel of this. Uh, the m- largest and most popular social media sites will need to act on content that is lawful, content that is lawful, but still harmful. These terms aren't def- defined. Lawful, you would assume in definition, but harmful is not defined. Uh, such as such as abuse that falls below the threshold of a criminal offence, encouragement of self-harm, and mis- or disinformation. So look, we're right out of time, uh, but uh, Alex and Kvork, I'm just interested in your Your thoughts on that little segment? Uh,
2: The only thing that comes to mind straight away for me, Mike, is that uh, East Yorkshire Police did the same, of course, where they got pushback in in Hull, uh, where they went to a former policeman and uh, for the the umpteenth time tried the line we are recording a non-crime hate event uh, in, which was cooked up out of, of out of uh, nowhere as police policy, made up out of old out of cloth. But of course that led to a test case and was rebutted. I think Kevork is probably going to have something to say about the use and abuse of the label anti-Semitic since that's of particular interest to him.
3: Well, actually I was going to say something else uh, in regard to the government policies in, 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 in different countries. Of course you have different attitudes of the populations towards their governments. And I would like to present uh, the viewers with this from the Soviet Union, uh, when uh, one of the most common phrases in the Russian language uh, was uh, don't trust, don't be scared, and don't ask for anything. And that was the way that all the dissidents were able to survive through everything that the government has been doing to them. You do not trust, uh, it doesn't matter what they say, uh they're not the source that you should uh stem your trust in your your trust lies as elsewhere when you know it's a fact and you know it's true then you trust and you're not uh you're not scared because the worst that they can do to you is kill you and uh once you're you're no longer existent then it's irrelevant what they do and what they say and never ask them for anything try to be self-sufficient and self-reliant rely on your friends rely on the people that think like you. And and, and then you will have very little chance of uh, of getting in touch with, with the government at any point in your life unless they come come after you. And there is another point that I'd like to make here is that we often speak of corruption as of an appalling thing. But had it been corruption under Stalin, 10% of our population would have survived because they would have been able to pay the bribes and, and skip the uh, concentration camps and so forth. So it isn't always that corruption is, is, a, is a negative thing on the population. It's, it, it depends on what the government is actually like. And what uh, our Western audience is not prepared for, certainly, is that the governments in the West will go down that route and will eventually end up somewhere within that realm of, of, of being Stalinistic and uh, that that, uh, that possibility isn't excluded. It's, it's it's not that that cannot possibly happen. So I would personally say as a, as a friendly advice to anyone, well, be prepared for anything.
0: Thank you very much indeed for those words. How interesting that you're giving us that very pertinent advice here in the West in 2021, how to deal with our own government. And of course, the first thing is to stop trusting the government to look after our lives and our families. Mm. Um, That was really excellent. Thank you very much for that.
1: Um, Well, we'll have to go, but we'll be back in a few minutes on uh, the UK Column live stream for some extra if you're uh, a UK Column member. And otherwise, we'll see you at 1pm as usual on Friday.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining us. We'll leave it there. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.